RadioInfluence.com. Football fans, it's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, T.J. Reed. Yeah, here we are rolling through October. Oh, it is the third Saturday in October this weekend. That means Alabama and Tennessee, amongst all the other college football mayhem, and the NFL cranking up. We are here. We're here for you. We are here for the little guy. The underdog, the team that maybe some are disregarding. Uh, who do we like this week and why? We're ready to break it down for you. I am your somewhat capable host. Two underdog victories last week. Thank you, I think, to my alma mater, the Memphis Tigers, who covered even though they snatched uh, defeat from the jaws of victory, did my Memphis Tigers blowing it to UCF. They still covered. I'll take them as an underdog. I also had the Dallas Cowboys and that complete bushwhacking of the Jacksonville Jaguars last week. He is our senior handicapper, a Vegas insider, uh, writer, and uh, prognosticator extraordinaire. Kevin Rogers is back with me. He loved those Duke Blue Devils last week. They got it done against the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets as an underdog. So it's good to have you, Kevin, as we're ready to go for another week. We are, and I think we can rename uh, the month. It's no longer Locktober in <laughs> South Florida. It's Brocktober after <laughs> the Dolphins shocked the Bears and it's about taking uh, victory from the jaws of defeat or taking defeat from the jaws of victory, depending on how you looked at that overtime. But, uh, yeah, it's good to be back and uh, another week, and let's try to get it right this week. Okay, so you're saying that Kenyon Drake, the Dolphins running back, who fumbled going into the end zone for the winning touchdown to end sudden death and fumbled at the half yard line as i as i have said for years the fictitious uh the made up the sarcastic lou gehrig award for the luckiest man on the face of the earth is Kenyon drake from last week because the dolphins redeemed themselves it took cody parkey the the kicker of the bears missing the field goal but the dolphins did redeem themselves with brock tober talk about an underdog i don't know that anybody believed that brock osweiler would win another game in the nfl but he did last week what an upset what an underdog He did. It was a very good win for the Dolphins. They really needed it after they lost to New England in convincing fashion and then blew that 17-0 lead to the Bengals. And you found out before the game, Ryan Tannehill wasn't going to play. So Brock Osweiler comes in, and we know his resume and his last few stops. You're like, oh, geez. But then again, on the flip side, he can't be any worse than what Tannehill had put together because the offensive numbers kind of stunk with Tannehill. And they came back, they drive down in overtime, and they ended up winning the game. It was, a, it was a nice victory for the Dolphins. They beat the Bears. They have the Lions coming in this week. So Kenyon Drake gets off the hook after that fumble at the goal line in overtime, which could have been a complete disaster. So we'll see what happens uh, this week down here. Uh, at least the good sign is is that the Dolphins were the only team to win in the Sunshine State last week since the Buccaneers and Jaguars both lost. So at least for one week, it looks good for the Dolphins. Yeah, you got to remind me of that. I'm part of the Buccaneers radio broadcast. Kevin's in South Florida in the Miami area. I'm in West Central Florida doing this show every week on Three Dog Thursday. And my Bucks, I'm part of their radio broadcast. Uh, they fought hard. They could have been blown out by the Atlanta Falcons, but instead... 
uh, battle back and end up uh, narrowly losing, had a chance to win at the very end with a very interesting play call. We'll get more into that a little bit later on here on Three Dog Thursday, I'm sure. Um, so we'll discuss that coming up uh, in the NFL segment later on when we make our picks and our predictions. Buccaneers will host Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns this week. Uh, the Jaguars, I had the Cowboys last week, Kevin. We'll talk about this in the in the uh, final segment, too, because the Dallas Cowboys, are they back, or is Jacksonville that shaky, or is it a combination of both? We'll discuss it coming up on Three Dog Thursday. Um, okay, so we're going to get into some college football predictions in a few minutes. I want to have some fun with a couple of things. I mentioned the UCF win over my Memphis Tigers. Let's get into that game from last week as UCF continues the nation's longest winning streak, a 19th straight win going back to last year, 6-0 now on the season. In specific, let's hone in on the first-year coach, Josh Heupel, the former quarterback at Oklahoma when they won the national championship in 2000. He's a former assistant at Oklahoma, former offensive coordinator at Missouri. This is his first head coaching job for UCF. Kevin, you're aware of the situation where they were down by 13 points, late third quarter, fourth and one at their own 29-yard line. Heupel elects to go for it, and not only does the play work for a first down, it works for a 71-yard touchdown run. Incredible turn of events in that moment for UCF on the road. They turn the momentum of the game. They come back from 13 down, go ahead on a McKenzie-Milton touchdown, hang on to win 31-30. Let's analyze that play a little bit. What are your thoughts on Hypo really rolling the dice there? I have no problem with it. I think that we are stuck in this fourth and one play. The percentages punt it. You can't find a play. Um, I, I hate to say it like this. You can't find a play that can get you one yard. And I understand, like, they busted it open and it turned out a lot better than anybody expected. But you can't find a play that gets you one yard. It's one thing to say it's fourth and 10 from your own 29. You're running it. You're like, what is wrong with you? Like, you must be nuts. But no matter where you're at, unless you're, like, on your own one-yard line, okay, <laughs> where you're really, like, unless you're there, you can't find a way to get a stinking yard to just advance the drive. I like it. I think that uh, more of these coaches should do that simply because, you know, what are you accomplishing? I guess a team like Memphis that can go down and score quickly just to give them the ball back. I understand you give them the ball back if you don't convert the fourth down, but if you convert it, you continue the drive. Instead, now you're just giving the ball back to them. I'm not going to equate it to bunning in baseball that you're – you know, you're, you're trying to take the out, but, you know, you're moving someone up. Same thing here. You're, you're moving the field back. But I'm totally fine with it. I think more of these coaches need to try to find a way to get that one yard, especially in college. There's so many different ways you can do it. I'll give you a quick example. I saw uh, earlier in the season, New Mexico State, granted not a good team, playing Minnesota. They had – they are actually on Minnesota's, like, 20-yard line. They had a third and one and a fourth and one. They couldn't get it. What do they do? Third and one, throwing the ball incomplete. Fourth and one, throwing it incomplete. What are you doing? How do you not run the ball, get the yard? And that's why I think a lot of these teams are trying to be too creative or too scared. Just run it, get the yard, and then go from there. So I'm all for it. One interesting aspect of this, again, he's a first-time head coach, and in a lot of ways, you know, it's VegasInsider.com that's providing this. It's like house money in Vegas. You're playing with the casino's money. Josh Heupel inherits a program that was 13-0 and last year. He's got a Heisman candidate that he inherited in McKenzie Milton. He is 5-0 and already on the season. I think that played into his decision a little bit, knowing who he had at the controls, knowing the success they've had. He's not going to be overly criticized. My point is, if Josh Heupel's in 
his third season at UCF, and they've maybe gone like eight and four last year, and they're like four and one this year, and this is a must-win game to help them win the division, and then he goes for it and misses. I think he's much more scrutinized than a first-year coach. Do you buy me selling that he can get away with it easier under the current circumstances and Heupel is a first-year coach at UCF? No, I, I think that he just looked at the situation and said, let's go for it. I, I think that's what it was. I, I really don't think that what happened in the past or this year really factored into it. But also at the same time, you know, like I said before, that you gotta you gotta make your mark in a sense. And this is a conference game on the road. You're losing. What is giving them the ball back accomplish? That's kind of where I go with it. That you're you're trying to put confidence in your team. You're not taking confidence away from your defense. You're not saying, oh, well, I don't think you could stop them. That's why we're punting. You have the utmost confidence in your offense and your quarterback saying, okay, we're gonna get this and continue this drive. And we just need to see more of that, that that a lot of these coaches just play too scared because they think they're going to get criticized. And just to go back to the Bears-Dolphins game last week, on that Cody Parkey field goal that was 50 yards out, the Bears, I believe, on second and third down, at least on third down, I don't remember on second down, they just ran it. It seemed like they ran it from the line and were just settling for a 50-something yard field goal. Why are you doing that? Move a little closer. You know, get it in a little closer. And it's just this conservative approach. You know, it's one thing to be on the two, to be like, okay, we don't want to fumble. Let's just fall right. down here. But, you know, it's just this conservative approach with all these coaches. Just come on. Be a little more creative. And that was a good thing to see with UCF. It's, hey, it's one thing you can never accuse Heupel of ever again, at least in the short term next few years, of being a conservative coach because that was far from it, and there are not a lot of coaches that would have gone ahead and done it. Uh, I like the fact, one more aspect of it, I'm just, this is like, I'm reliving what went on last week where I'm now being beaten up psychologically. But I, I thought it was a genius move that he showed that formation and then they called timeout, like, oh, we got to think about it. Maybe we're going to punt. And they come out of the timeout and they're in the same formation and they've got a defensive tackle playing fullback. And I think he was playing games with Memphis, making Memphis think, we're not going to run a play. We're just going to bark at you here. We're going to see if you jump off sides. And they caught him. They caught him. And then the, the defensive tackle just destroyed the linebacker or whoever it was in the hole. And McGowan is out the gate, 71 yards for a touchdown. Again, you may think that we're dwelling way too much on this play, but UCF may roll into December undefeated here. That was a huge turnaround, a huge moment, and UCF has to be undefeated to have any part of the college football playoff conversation. So let's see if it uh, if it does continue. I promise we'll get to underdog picks in a moment or two here. Uh, but first, though, I want to have some fun with you. We mentioned that UCF has a new head coach. That's because Scott Frost, God love him, leaves for his alma mater, Nebraska, and they now have the worst start in Huskers history in over 100 years of Nebraska football. They have never been 0-6. They're now 0-6 after they let Northwestern come back and beat them in overtime. You couple that with John Gruden, and again, full disclosure here on Three Dog Thursday, I used to host John Gruden's radio show. I have a great relationship with him, talk frequently, especially in the offseason, see him, have played golf with him, etc. The misery level right now for he and for the Raiders after that loss last weekend in London to Seattle, they're now 1-5 and five on the season. 
who thought who thought that was going to be happening at, at one and five with him coming out of the broadcast booth after nine years on Monday Night Football. And then you look at Willie Taggart as another name where Taggart is at Florida State. He is definitely under fire. They've lost some games. They blew the big lead to Miami. They've had a bye week. They're playing Wake Forest later this week. Taggart leaves an Oregon program, Kevin, you know this, that that scores the huge upset over Washington. Well, not huge upset, but huge win. Washington in the top 10, and Oregon goes ahead and beats them last week. Oregon 5-1 and one under the interim coach Mario Cristobal, who was Willie Taggart's assistant. Taggart voluntarily leaves Oregon and takes the, the Florida State job in the power rankings of regret, let's call them. Where do you rank Scott Frost, Gruden, Willie Taggart, how would you rank them one, two, and three, Kevin Rogers? This, to me, is, is a very easy question. I think tied for second are Frost and Taggart, and I'll explain the reason why in a second. I think John Gruden's overwhelming number one, simply because you had nothing else to prove. You did. You, you were coasting along as an analyst on ESPN. You had 16 Monday night games and throwing a preseason game in the draft camp with the blackboard or the whiteboard or whatever. You know, you talk to the quarterbacks, and that's it. I mean, I understand you do more work than that. But for the most part, like, that's it. And you just coast along, making $7 million a year. And I know the Raiders gave you $100 million to go to <laughs> Vegas. I get all that, but not even worth it. I understand Scott Frost leaving UCF, that they went undefeated. There's only so far you can go to UCF. The guy went undefeated, and right. then you have a half shot to win a national championship. You go back to your alma mater. Yeah, they're going through some growing pains now, but I guess I look at it like, who else do you bring in? You get rid of him, bring someone else in, and they'd be the same team. So I have no problem with Scott Frost doing what he did. I have no problem with Willie Taggart doing what he did. Because he's from Florida, Florida State is a better job than Oregon. It is. Because of where you're located, you're not on the West Coast. Oregon, basically, the only thing you have with Oregon is the Nike thing. You know, and Oregon is a, is a very solid program. And you have Nike, but past that, Florida State is a more national round program. I will tell you this. We don't live out there, but I know enough people out there and have covered enough of this and talked to enough media people in the West, in the Pacific Northwest. They would fight you over that statement. I mean, I know we're in Florida and we slant more towards Florida football and the success, but Oregon has been a West Coast power for going on about 15 years right now. And they had a down year for Mark Helfrich, and they fired him after he was 4-8. and eight. Had an okay year last year. But Oregon fans would tell you that's a better job than Florida State is right now. How many, how just, many championships I'm with Oregon you. Have? I'm not saying that I agree. I'm just saying they would fight you. And, yes, Bobby Bowden had a 14-year run, 14 straight years, where they were in the AP Top 5 in the 80s and the 90s. Let me say that again. 14 years in a row, they never failed to be out of the Top 5. Florida State. So overall, I, I agree. I just I know that that there are some saying Willie Taggart probably really regrets that he didn't stick around with Justin Herbert at quarterback and and reap the benefit of what's going to probably be a ten win Oregon season this year well, at a good bowl game. I think that's short term. I think that you know when you look at it, especially when you had all those problems with the uh, the fitness stuff, whatever it was when he first got right, there, right. he was already kind of like behind the eight ball, like with the media and everything. And I don't blame him leaving USF to go to Oregon. That's obviously a better job, but to have the Florida State job open up and the timing, I guess, just kind of sucked because it was after only one year at Oregon. That it is what it is, but I don't blame him. And yeah, FSU is down. Like, there's no question about that. That they're down, and I know Oregon fans will say, oh, it would be Florida State. Yeah, you beat them one game in the Rose Bowl. Like, yeah, that's great. You beat them one time, and then Oregon lost to Ohio State. I mean, in the overall, 
you know, when you look at history and all that, they don't compare. Oregon is still a great college football program. Like, there is no disputing that. But, you know, it's like I always say, just because I go against you doesn't mean I think you suck. It just means that, you know, I'm not taking you in the argument. And, you know, you can't, you know, Florida State, how many players have they sent to the NFL compared to Oregon? Like, it's just, there's no way you can compare the jobs. But, yes, <laughs> I got you. Tiger has struggled. Frost has struggled. But they had to move up. John Gruden did not have to take that job. He did not have to. Besides the money, like, why would you go back there and do that? And, and now look at what it's been. It's been a complete disaster. He missed the competitive part of it, I can tell you that for a fact, from knowing him and being around him. And, oh, are they taking their lumps right now. I did not foresee it. I, I predicted before this season began for the Raiders that I thought they would be an 8- or 9-win team with Carr and company there that he could mask a lot of the defensive problems. That looks horribly wrong. This looks like a 2-14, a 3-13 Raider team unless something drastic uh, turns around uh, for them. So it's interesting on the, the misery, the self-inflicted misery power rankings for the three people that left something else they were doing to go where they are. You got Gruden 1, and then you tie with Scott Frost and Willie Taggart at this point. It is Three Dog Thursday. He's Kevin Rogers. I'm TJ Reeves. We're going to get into the underdog predictions here in just a second in college football. Later on, underdogs as well in the NFL. Let me tell you about our friends at Vivid Seats. Whether you're talking about Outson Stadium, whether you're talking about Doak Campbell Stadium in uh, in Tallahassee, Outson Stadium for Oregon, whether you're talking about uh, the Coliseum in Oakland, pick a location, UCF Spectrum Stadium in Orlando that we've been talking about, and on and on. From the Meadowlands in the NFL to the Swamp in Gainesville, the Big House in Michigan, Jerry's World, Vivid Seats has got your tickets. VividSeats.com, the Vivid Seats mobile app. You're going to get a great experience utilizing either the website or the app. All the tickets are guaranteed. It's easy to use. It's easy to sign up for. And we've got a special offer here on Three Dog Thursday. Use the promo code INFLUENCE. Use the promo code INFLUENCE. Get 10% off of your first order with VividSeats.com. And again, satisfaction completely guaranteed. It's an easy experience uh, for you to go look these tickets over all over the country at all of these different venues. They've got them for you. Uh, and the purchasing process is guaranteed with Vivid Seats. So VividSeats.com, the Vivid Seats mobile app. Promo code is INFLUENCE for 10% off of your first purchase of these tickets for all of the great games with Vivid Seats as part of Three Dog Thursday. All right, enough out of the way with that. Let's go underdogs. Give me one in college football and why. Who do you like, Kevin? I'm going to go, even though they blew a, a big lead last week, and they're going on the road this week. I'm going with the Vanderbilt Commodores. They're playing at Kentucky, and normally this is kind of a dog game, you know, in the SEC East, but Kentucky's obviously played very well this season. They're coming off an overtime loss to Texas A&M in their last game, and when you look at what Kentucky has done so far, they upset Florida as a nice underdog in Gainesville. They upset Mississippi State at home. They beat South Carolina in the pick and roll, and now you're laying double digits to Vanderbilt. And, and when you look at Vandy, they've gone through a, a really rough schedule so far, losing to Notre Dame, losing to Georgia, losing to Florida, that that really is a lot uh, for them. You know, And, yeah, it's not going to be easy against Kentucky, but you know, when you look at what uh, you know, Kentucky's coming off of the game against Texas A&M, a very interesting little nugget that Texas A&M did not allow Kentucky on their side of the field all throughout regulation. 
that all of Kentucky's touchdowns either came defensively or came on long runs. But Kentucky never drove into Texas A&M's area on the field uh, in regulation. So really the offense did nothing in that game. And, and yeah, I know Texas A&M is much better than Vandy. But I just look at Vandy that I think that after the loss to Florida last week, they, they hung for a bit. And now you're getting some good points here in a, I don't want to say a, I mean, it's like a lower tier rivalry game, you know, in the SEC East. I'm going to take the points with them. Well, and Kentucky with Benny Snell at running back still believes they could possibly win the East with the Georgia loss last week to LSU. They still play Georgia head to head coming up. Vandy had the Gators down 21 to three. And yet Florida rallied and won the game. Hey, quick comment from you, Kevin, here on Three Dog Thursday. What did you make of the whole situation with Dan Mullen, uh, Derek Mason, the Vanderbilt coach, coming over to check on his injured player? He's in front of the Florida bench. They start jawing. The, the defensive coordinator, Todd Grantham, I think he needs to check himself and get under control because he was screaming the F word and threatening uh, Derek Mason. I know you're going to fire your own guys up. It was not a good look to me. That's my opinion on it. But what about the coaches having a dust-up? And here again, we have a coach out on the field who's supposed to be checking on a player, and he ends up barking at the at the Florida sideline about the block, et cetera. What about it? Yeah, I mean, it's just unfortunate. And I saw some of the comments after the game. And, you know, Mullen, I guess Mason, know each other from over the years. With Mullen being at Mississippi State, and, you know, these guys see each other at the, you know, SEC conferences, uh, you know, the the, the – press conferences during the summer and all that. So they, they probably know each other and they just said it was not a misunderstanding, but they just got in the heat of it and they said everything was okay. I mean, it's not a good look. You don't want everybody yelling at each other like that, but I'm sure it's just, you know, part of the game and I guess they'll all move on. I, I do agree with those in the SEC media that have been putting it out there this week on the internet, on social media, saying they would take Derek Mason versus any other coach in the SEC in the octagon. I think I would agree with that against Mullen. I don't know, maybe Jeremy Pruitt no, of Tennessee, no, maybe. Wrong. Who would you take? Orgeron? No, no, take Saban. No, he'll he'll get everybody. Sa- Saban in the he, octagon one on one. He's got Saban rec- maybe small in stature, but he'll take you down <laughs> with his scowl. <laughs> And, and put you in the uh, in the submission hold, if need be, uh, with ultimate fighting. All right, so you're going to go Vanderbilt against Kentucky, and I am going to go with a home underdog. I've liked the home underdogs a lot of this year. And again, it's worth mentioning here, we have, between Kevin and me, picked at least two underdogs for you in college football successfully in six of the seven weeks this year. Six of the seven weeks, we've gotten at least two of them right. There have been several weeks when we've gotten at least three right. So pay attention to these for what it's worth i like the marshall thundering herd conference usa east division showdown against lane kiffin and florida atlantic fau comes in with the top uh rushing scoring running back in the country in devin singletary he's now got 14 rushing touchdowns on the season uh he's an outstanding runner but you know what Uh, marshall can run it too and they've got the player of the week in tyler king last week in conference usa king against old dominion had 195 yards 165 of them kevin in the fourth quarter of the game 165 in one quarter marshall at home getting three points marshall uh, a narrow loss last year but a cover at fau in lane kiffin's first season I like them getting the three points here. The winner, they, they understand the winner of this game still has a chance at the division. The loser, it's a second loss, and neither one of them have played the first place team down in your part of the world, Florida International, till later in the year. So you don't want a second loss right now, FIU unbeaten. 
I'll take Marshall at home, plus the three points against the Fighting Kiffs uh, in this matchup in Conference USA. And am I correct? You're going to save your ammunition for two NFL underdogs later on. Is that right? I am, yes. I, I like a lot of favorites in college this week, so I'm going to go with uh, a couple doggies in the NFL. All right, so that's coming in our last segment. So it's back to me for one more college underdog. And we've been mentioning the SEC. I mentioned Ed Orgeron a few moments ago. I Mississippi State in this spot with LSU. I know the game is in Baton Rouge, but Mississippi State is a team that I like with Nick Fitzgerald at quarterback. Yes, Florida slowed them down and shut them down. But, I mean, early on in the year, uh, they go and beat Kansas State at Kansas State. That is never an easy task to go by, go beat a Bill Snyder team in Manhattan, Kansas. LSU off of two very hard-fought games, a loss to Florida, and then a tooth-and-nail game with Georgia where they played very well. I know on the surface they beat Georgia at home, and you're thinking, okay, they should be able to blow out Mississippi State. But Mississippi State was off last week. They were resting. They were watching. They beat Auburn decisively two weeks ago. So they're feeling pretty good. They're feeling rested. And by the way, Kevin, because you love the stats here, the last four years, Mississippi State has covered in every game against LSU. Four for four. They have two outright wins, including a blowout win last year, Orgeron's first season as the full-time coach. Mississippi State and Fitzgerald handled them. Now, I know Dan Mullen was the Bulldogs coach. He's gone to Gainesville. Joe Moorhead, now the former offensive coordinator at Penn State, is the Mississippi State coach. Still, Fitzgerald's the same quarterback. They've got some of the same cast. I will take Mississippi State and the seven points in Baton Rouge for this matchup coming against LSU Saturday night on the Bayou. I will take the Bayou Bengals. Do you buy into, as a general rule, when a team has had two hard-fought, tough conference games like this that they may have a little bit of a letdown after the second one, especially after the great win for LSU in general terms, not just for this game, do you like to hone in on those kind of situations like I'm doing here? I mean, I don't know about just in general. I mean, but I know you say, like, not this particular situation, but the one thing I'll say about LSU is that they have been great as an underdog, and you've seen that beating Miami, beating Auburn, and then beating Georgia. That as a favorite, they really haven't been that great this year. So that's probably, you know, a good reason to go against them this week. And it's just, you know, it's just natural, you know, like that what, you know, you're coming off of. And, you know, Mississippi State, like you mentioned, you know, with them being off, that they've had some time to rest, and they had the tough loss to Florida, you know, a few weeks ago. So I think that they should be uh, pretty focused going into this game. We'll see how it goes on that front. Kevin, I know you'll be back with us in our final segment to do some underdog selecting here. We're looking forward to that. We're revved up with some underdog picks. Stand by there for me, sir. We've got much more on the way. You're tuned to the only digital radio show that devotes itself exclusively to underdogs, college football and the NFL. Whether you found us through RadioInfluence.com, subscribe on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, and get the show to come automatically to you by subscribing to the show. It is Three Dog Thursday. We will continue. Stay with us. The dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is T.J. Reeves. Yes, we are back in here on the only digital radio show that is devoted exclusively to underdogs, ready to make some pro football picks in a couple of moments. Kevin Rogers has got two of them coming on deck. I've got one more to balance out on Three Dog Thursday. Before the underdog selection, something that is being mentioned 
uh, all over the place. There have been more touchdowns scored in the first six weeks now of the NFL season than any season before. More, more total touchdowns across the league. Scoring and offense and passing in particular at, at a record rate all the time. Uh, it is just amazing how much the football's in the air. We've had rule changes to protect the passing game, to protect the quarterback and player safety, that it's almost made defense totally different. It's softened it. So I've let all that in, Kevin Rogers, as we bring you back in. What, what about this with the NFL? Have we reached the point here where we can't go back to hard-nosed defense and lower-scoring games? Is this going to be like a video game or like arena football moving forward for the next few years in the NFL? What do you think? I'm guessing it is. You know, we saw that with the Chiefs Patriots game on Sunday night. They combined for 83 points, and I don't know if the fans want the defensive struggle, the 10 to 3 game. You know, necessarily. I think that you know it's kind of a little ridiculous with the quarterbacks. You can't even breathe on them. That's a little too much. But you know, honestly, with all the concussions and the lawsuits, they got to be careful. You know, with, with the safety thing, they don't need more problems with that. And I don't think it's a bad thing to score points. I really don't. And, you know, we've seen a lot of games that have had, you know, crazy numbers. You know, the Falcons have scored over 30 points off four of their home games this season. We know the Buccaneers defensively are not very good. They give up a ton of points so far. And, you know, it still is very exciting. And people may not want to hear that, you know, if you're a defensive purist. But, you know, at the same time, you know, do what's best for the league. And it's probably just let these teams keep scoring. Well, I do know this. Uh, there, there are some teams that can still play defense. I mean, we saw the Ravens last week shut the Titans out and have 11 sacks in the game. Uh, the Rams, as they were originally constituted with the, with the great cover corners in Tlaib and Marcus Peters, they look like a team that was poised to dominate defensively. Jacksonville has been good in the last couple of years defensively, if not great at times. But, man, they were, they were just blitzed last week by Ezekiel Elliott and the Cowboys. Part of that is Blake Bortles not being able to throw the ball for the Jaguars. Uh, effectively. I mean, they were awful in the first half on offense and putting the defense out there. But my point is, there are some teams that are still playing physical defense, getting after you. So it, it comes in pockets. It comes in places with defensive struggles. But I mean, watching that Monday night game, let's go back to that, Kevin, real quick before the picks. Did anybody have any doubt with the 49ers up by seven and Aaron Rodgers with the ball with like four minutes left that they weren't going to go right down the field and score? I mean, he's almost unstoppable by anybody much less the 49ers at home with being able to throw the football nobody doubted that of course they were going to go down and get the points where in years gone by you might have said okay those those 49er defenses that had uh, you know Ronnie Lott and I'm going to probably leave somebody out a uh, Gary Plummer in the middle and great secondary and pass rushers that they always had in San Francisco that Bill Walsh's teams in the 80s or whatever they were they were always going to find a way to get a stop it looked like even though they had Montana and Rice those 49ers the other night weren't going to stop Aaron Rodgers. You could have given him six quarters. They weren't going to stop him. No, he, he's a magician back there. He definitely makes some of these throws. You're like, wow, it doesn't matter who his receivers are. He just puts it right on the money for them. And, you know, for the 49ers, they've actually been very competitive with Jimmy Garoppolo hurt, which is kind of interesting that uh, they've actually, you know, hung around a lot of these games the last few weeks with C.J. Beathard. But, uh, yeah, it's a bad loss. I mean, for San Francisco, I mean, any loss is a bad loss. But, you know, you're up in that game, you got to put them away. Like, you have them dead in the water, and you still let Aaron Rodgers go down the field. I mean, if you had San Francisco in the points, you know, you were a winner. But, uh, yeah, the Packers at that, you know what, I don't buy it. So, well, you needed to beat 
C.J. Beathard with the last-minute drive, too bad. You know what? Wins are wins in the NFL. Packers needed wins, and with the way that NFC North is going, where Minnesota, you know, they, they've beaten a couple bums so far. They really don't have any great wins. I mean, another one at Philadelphia, but, you know, Detroit's up and down. The Bears just lost this past week. The Packers didn't take anything they can get at this point, and if that means beating the Niners on a last-second field goal, so be it. So that's actually be a very good race down the stretch in the North. Well, and you make a great point. I mean, they had the great comeback, Green Bay, on the first Sunday night of the year against the Bears. They got to play uh, Josh Allen and the and the uh, Bills when Allen was just starting uh, early this season, and they shut them out at home. Now you have this crazy game with no Garoppolo. They aren't going to look at the end of the year at the Packers in the standings in the NFC and, and for the NFL playoff purposes and say, you know, those three wins all have an asterisk by them, and so therefore you don't make the playoffs. Uh, last I checked, Kevin, they all three count as wins. No matter how or who you played against in those matchups, they all count as wins. And Green Bay will take every one of them. And that's your point. Yeah, I mean, it's, this isn't college, you know. I mean, you're not beating up Prairie View A&M. And it's like, well, that win means nothing. They all mean something. They really do. And you know what? In the end, no one's ever going to look back at the schedule and say, well, this team won the championship. But they beat, they beat a lot of bad opponents. Like, it's, it doesn't matter. It, right. it, you know, to the exception of maybe the Patriots, who, who always clinched the AFC East, you know, in week one. You know, it took them about four weeks to clinch it this year, but uh, yeah, it doesn't matter who you play. Like, you got to get wins, and Green Bay will eventually go to Chicago, and they'll go to Minnesota, you know, and I think they still play the Rams, if I'm not mistaken, uh, later on in the year. So they still have all those games. They, if they can win those games, then that's all that matters. That is what they try to do. Okay, you owe us two underdogs here, sir. You took one college. Where do you want to begin with an NFL underdog? Well, I guess uh, I'm going to begin with the Dallas Cowboys. And they go to Washington to face the Redskins. And I just find it interesting. Side note, it's a CBS game, not Fox with the flexing. So Summerall and Madden uh, will hear them probably in the broadcast coming up. <laughs> on, on The old days. That game. Right. But uh, here's the thing is that Something has to give with these two teams. Both of them coming off wins last week. Dallas dominated Jacksonville. Washington had a really nice start against Carolina and held them off. And neither of these teams have won back-to-back games this year. So somebody's got to give with, with that. And when you look at the NFC East, where the Eagles kind of woke up against the Giants last week and the Giants were kind of out of it, that the winner of this game can still kind of, you know, be there in the NFC East, possibly – you know, to win the division, even though it's still a long way to go. But I'm going to lean towards Dallas here. They've had some success with Washington the last few years. And Dallas on the road so far this year, they had a tough loss at Houston that was close. Seattle's played better recently, so that loss doesn't look that bad. And even the Carolina game, the offense did nothing. But I thought they played pretty well defensively in that opener. So, you know, Dallas, yeah, they've had their ups and downs, and so is Washington. I mean, you look at Washington, they jumped out on Carolina, they beat a bad Arizona team in week one, and they jumped out on Green Bay. I just don't know which team I'm getting. That's the problem, because the Colts blitzed them early, the Saints blitzed them early in, uh, you know, in some of these games. The Redskins are just so up and down 
that I think that Dallas, the way Ezekiel Elliott is running, I think Dak probably got some confidence after last week that uh, I'm going to take them as a short dog against the Redskins. And I loved them in that setting at home with the Jaguars as a home underdog. And again, the Jags, an outstanding defense, but question marks around Blake Bortles for sure. But Dallas stuffed him in a garbage can last week. And Ezekiel Elliott, fantastic running the football. Let's see uh, Let's see what happens in the first of these two matchups. They are longtime, what, 60-year rivals, basically, in the NFL, going back all the way to the 1960s uh, when these teams uh, would hook up. So Cowboys and Redskins renew it again. All right, underdog for me, my final one. I'm going to go all the way to London, the second London game. Last week, of course, the Seahawks buried John Gruden's Raiders. We talked about Gruden in the first segment here on Three Dog Thursday. Seahawks with a blowout win in London. Now we go to this matchup in England of the Chargers and the Titans. And, Kevin, I keep saying to myself, Tennessee is not that bad of a football team. I know they've now lost back-to-back games to Buffalo and to Baltimore where they didn't do a lot on offense. I think that's more about them. I think Mariota's elbow may still be a little bit of a question mark. He heard it in the opening game of the year against uh, against the Dolphins, but I think the elbow may get better as the year goes on here. I, I just don't I don't subscribe that Tennessee is that bad of a team. They're good defensively, and I know Rivers and the Chargers have been really good. They throttled Cleveland on uh, on Sunday they actually stayed in Cleveland Kevin earlier in the week for a few days to then fly this weekend to London rather than going all the way back to LA and going to London Chargers also smacked the Raiders a couple of weeks ago those are not exactly good teams though that the Chargers were beating and Rivers will still throw the interception Tennessee a good defense I am going to take the Titans here I think they're better than what they've showed the last two weeks it may take getting off the continent and going to Europe for Tennessee to straighten it out I'll take them against the Chargers in this matchup what what is your opinion here about about this game what do you think well I'm going to agree with you and take this as my second NFL game that uh well a couple things you know the one thing about the nfl is just look at situations i actually had the chart not with you but i actually had the chargers on vegas insider last week against the browns that so many people were on cleveland you know just riding that train i said the chargers are a better team than cleveland again as a pick them you know and, and the chargers dominated them you know and they played well the previous week against the raiders you know and they didn't play as well before that against san francisco so you know they kind of got right in a few games now you're traveling. You know, both teams have got a major travel in this game. And you mentioned the Titans. You know what? They finally put up their first stinker of the year, okay? That they were very competitive in the first five weeks. And, yeah, they played poorly against a Baltimore team that should have beat Cleveland the week before. And they held Cleveland out of the end zone. And they obviously held Tennessee out of the end zone and held them off the scoreboard. So, yeah, you lost to a good Baltimore team. There's no shame in that. And, you know what? Buffalo kicks a field goal at the end of Beach of the week before. So, you know, they were a team that had been there in a lot of games, and I understand they should have beaten Buffalo. They should have lost to Philadelphia. You know, they hold Jacksonville to six points. They were right there with the Dolphins in that opening week. So they are competitive. And now all of a sudden people are pumping up the Chargers after this little run, which is a nice you know few-game run. But I'm not ready to close the book on the Titans just yet. That Even though they lost as an underdog last week, which they should have been, now you're getting – a bunch of points with them as a dog in a neutral site game, I think that they're definitely worth a look uh, this week, that both teams are kind of on that disadvantage going across to London, and I just think it's going to be a much closer game than people think. 
Uh, one other thing to keep an eye on, Tennessee's offensive line has had problems, and they repeatedly last week while trailing the Ravens, they continued to have Marcus Mariota drop back seven steps and try to protect him, and Baltimore... 11 sacks, Kevin. I mean, sometimes that happens like in high school. It might happen occasionally in a college game. I don't know the last NFL game in the last decade or two decades where a team's gotten 11 sacks on another team. That happened last week to Tennessee. I think their pass rush and scheme, or I'm sorry, their pass defense and their scheme will be better to get the ball out of his hand quicker against the Chargers. Uh, Show me the Titans. And you and I agree here. We're going to both take Tennessee over in England, over in London for this matchup. Uh, with the L.A. Chargers, uh, and the Chargers may, may be due to, to have the stinker, like you like to say, on their own here uh, in this game. So there are underdogs for this week. Uh, I know there is a ton going on at VegasInsider.com, and Kevin Rogers, tell us more about all the great information you've been giving us here on Three Dog Thursday and where they can read more and find out more about it online. Well, we know about the NFL and college football because we've discussed it for all this time and uh, right in the middle of the season. But also, NHL a few weeks in now to the regular season. Baseball playoffs continuing as we're getting closer to the World Series. The NBA starts this week or is underway now this week. So you have that going on. We're a few weeks away from college basketball beginning. So just so many things to keep track of. But it's really a great time of year that uh, you have so many choices you know, whether it is football or basketball or the baseball playoffs or even hockey that, uh, you know, if you want to wager on and we have everything, we're on top of all of it. And it's a really, you know, busy few months with all this going on. And it's very exciting. You can check us out on Twitter. It's with the eye. And you can check out my pick packs also at uh, Vegas Insider. There's daily, there's weekly, there's monthly. It's all there. And also not only me, but also the other fine handicappers here. So you can check them all out. You know, if you're interested in some NBA for the night, you're interested in college football on a Saturday, NFL on Sunday, or even NFL on a Monday. It doesn't matter. But uh, you can check us out at VegasInsider.com. Love that. Uh, follow this man at V.I. Rogers. V.I. Rogers. Kevin Rogers there on Twitter. Follow this show at 3 Dog Thursday. Always love the insight. Uh, from Kevin Rogers here as part of Three Dog Thursday. You do a fantastic job giving me that. Um, You're going to have the Vandy Commodores in the matchup with Kentucky in college, then two NFL underdogs, the Dallas Cowboys and the Tennessee Titans. Titans game, by the way, is breakfast in London uh, for this matchup. It's an early start for Sunday for Titans and Chargers, so we're interested in that. I've got the Marshall Thundering Herd against Florida Atlantic in college football. I also like Mississippi State against LSU, and you may be listening to this show on Sunday and you already know how, how smart or how dumb these college picks are, but I've got Mississippi State at LSU off the bye week, off the two emotional games for LSU. I like them plus the seven, and I agree with Kevin. Tennessee Titans here against the Chargers in that London game. We both agree for Three Dog Thursday purposes. Kevin, I had a blast as always. Thank you, sir. We look forward to uh, many more underdog selections starting with uh, with next week. Enjoy the football this weekend. Thank you. All right. Thank you, TJ. There is Kevin Rogers. I'm TJ Reeves. We do appreciate you finding us again, whether you found us through Radio Influence, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, rank the show, rate the show, then others will find it more easily. It'll move itself up in the rankings when you rate the show. Also, share it out on social media, spread the word, subscribe via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. The show comes automatically to your phone or your iPad. We want to thank you for being with us. It is Three Dog Thursday, and enjoy the games this weekend. Bye. 
This is a Landry football with Chris Landry. Quick fix on Radio Influence. Think Auburn needs a win? Bad? I'd say so. I'd say with the way this season has gone, it's one thing to go through a season where you lose a couple of games and, you know, you end up, when you look at the rest of the slate, uh, they're not going to beat Georgia. They're not going to beat Alabama. It's not that type of team. So they're four and two. So you're looking at four losses. You're looking at best eight and four. There's a danger now that it could get ugly if you if you drop another game that you really shouldn't lose to. Um, you could make the case because Mississippi State's a good team. You could make the case that they could play with Auburn and beat Auburn. You could make the case LSU, good team. You could make the case you could lose that game. They did beat Washington, but at this stage they've beaten Outside of Washington, Alabama State, Arkansas, Southern Miss, and that's it. A&M is going to be a challenge as well. So you're looking at an 8-4 and four season. If they don't beat A&M, 7-5, there's just no way they can lose to Tennessee. If they lose to Tennessee or Ole Miss, then we're looking at 7-5 and five potentially. And that would be really, really uncomfortable on the planes. Not in terms of Gus losing his job, but we're going to see some massive changes coming around there no doubt about that chris landry brings you landry football every week on apple Podcasts, stitcher tune in radio google play and of course radioinfluence.com